Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Do you see what I see? I see a church that for 16 years has loved South Atlanta one relationship at a time. A church that in the past year alone has seen more salvations and baptisms than any other year in its history. I see a church that is committed to making a lasting impact in Coweta and Troop County. A church that has deep relationships in schools and in the community. A church that has trusted God and has followed Him at all cost. But I see more. Do you see what I see? I see a church that is willing to do whatever it takes to share the love of Jesus. A church that is ready for what God has next. I see a church that has established itself in Troop County and is ready for a permanent location. A church that wants to expand throughout South Atlanta. A church that gives out of the overflow of their heart. A church that is the future of the next generation. I see a church that is being the church. I see Southcrest. God has given our church an incredible opportunity to impact His kingdom. Over the next 100 days, we are asking you to join us in our Do You See What I See giving campaign as we move forward with all that God has planned for our church. All right, good morning. Yeah, that's what we all need on a time-change Sunday morning. We just need a big, barbaric good morning. Good morning. All right, that's good. Hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses here right now. We are live between two cities, between Noonan and LaGrange. Let's give each other a big round of applause. Let's celebrate that today. Couple more weeks and our LaGrange location will be moving into their new building. I cannot wait to see that happen. That is going to be a dream come true. And I just want to tell you, thank you guys. You as a church, you have been so generous to our campaign that God's going to do something amazing in that city. And God's doing something amazing here at Noonan as well. So thank you for being here today. We're in week two of a series called Rise Up. Everyone say, Rise Up. Okay, here's how I know you have already risen up. You are here today, right? You went out and spent some large money on a smartphone and it moved your phone ahead of an hour. You didn't even have to set your clock and you are here. And if you have a flip phone, I'll pray for you. Okay, you're gonna have to change that thing with some digits and stuff. But we're in week two of our series called Rise Up and today is going to be amazing. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter two. And I want to start off by saying this. We learned a lot last week. We looked at some of the highlights just a second ago on that video. But let me say this. Never let your circumstances determine your destiny. Instead, let your destiny define your circumstances. That's kind of our jumping off point today. Like that's where we're going to begin in this moment today. This idea that God has this destiny. And, and we looked at... Nehemiah last week and how God had to do something in his life. He brought him to a place of brokenness, but through that brokenness, he rejected indifference and he went to a king. 
And I don't know about you, I love stories where people have to defy the odds. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just want to say this. I'm so thankful that every weekend on one of the major cable networks during non-football Saturdays and Sundays, they show the movie called Rudy. Y'all ever seen Rudy before? Okay, I watch it all the time. Like, I know how it begins. I know how it ends. Why do I watch it over and over again? Because I love stories about people who have to overcome an amazing odds. You know another movie I love? It comes on every other weekend. It's called Remember the Titans. You know what I'm talking about? My favorite moment is when they're training and they're trying to get all this reconciliation between everybody together. And he takes them through the, the part where he's, they're running through the woods in the middle of the night. They don't even realize they're running through some of the hills of Gettysburg. And he looks at him and he says, hey guys, this is where men lost their families. This is where brothers killed brothers. We've got to do something to rise up. And, and they become one football team, right? And they win. And I just think, oh, those are amazing obstacle experiences where people just overcome amazing things. I love it when people have to overcome insurmountable obstacles and opposition to rise up. Let me tell you a story. 2003, there was a hiker in southeastern Utah. His name was Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston was a very experienced climber, very experienced caver. But he walked into a cave in southeastern Utah, and suddenly he found himself in a situation that was insurmountable. He was stuck between a boulder and a cave, uh, a wall, a rock, and his arm was impinged. And he knew if I don't get my arm out of here, first of all, my arm has been crushed. If I don't get my arm out of here, I'm gonna die. 2003, true story, you can look at his name, Aaron Ralston. He goes out and he's sitting there in the cave and he has a decision to make. I can stay here and I can die or I can cut my own arm off and I can live. He pulls out his pocket knife. And over the next 125 hours, literally takes his knife and cuts his own arm off and then literally goes down an 80-foot cliff to get to safety, lives to tell the story. You see a picture of him on the screen there. He's now a one-armed climber. But don't we love stories where people are set with odds that are insurmountable and they defy the odds? And rise up anyway. See, here's what I love about stories like that. That's kind of like some of your stories here today. Some of you grew up in bad home situations. You grew up in bad situations. Maybe you came out of a really horrible marriage in your life. Or you came out of a really horrible father situation where your father beat you when you were a child. And you have all these things stacked against you. But somewhere in your equilibrium, you know, like, if I can just defy the odds, I can rise up. And I want to say this today as we start. It's so important. To rise up, we will have to overcome obstacles and opposition. We're going to have to overcome obstacles and opposition. That's part of rising up. In fact, let me say it this way. Most of the world and most of us, we're looking for a shortcut. We're looking for the path of least resistance. Or we're looking for some sort of an easy street. And we sometimes equate God's favor or his goodness towards us dependent upon how hard or how easy it is. 
I don't know where that creeped into the American church, but somehow we got this idea that if God is really with you and if he's called you to do something great, everyone's going to rise up and cheer you on and say, go, go, go. That ain't going to happen. Because the truth is there is no shortcut. There is no easy path. There's no easy street. If we're going to rise up, we're going to have to overcome some obstacles and some opposition. We're going to have to face some insurmountable odds where your friends are even going to look at you and say, you are crazy for staying into that. God's already told you this is your destiny. I've learned that to get to the place God wants for me in my life, I've got to walk through some dark days. I've got to go through some times where I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what next week will be. But I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my next week. In fact, I know who gives me my next breath. Nehemiah chapter two. We looked last week about the request he made to this king. He went to King Artaxerxes and he says, hey, king, I really need to go rebuild this wall. I really need to go back to my people. And he appeals to the king and and then he makes the statement that we ended on last week. He said, and because God's gracious hand was upon me, the king granted my request. Man, don't ever underestimate the power of God's grace upon your life. You can do anything because of God's grace that is upon your life. So he asked the king, and what does the king do? The king says, tell me what you want. He told him, he said, hey, I'm gonna need this, and I'm gonna need this, and I'm gonna need this. In other words, king, I need your authority, and I need all of your access to make this happen. And that's where we're gonna pick up today. Nehemiah chapter two, verse nine. Look what it says. Then I, this is Nehemiah, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Remember, he had to have letters to be able to travel. He didn't even have authority apart from what the king had given him. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Now think about this. He had an entourage. Not only did he have the authority of the king in the letter to be able to go, because he was a part of the king's palace there in Persia, he would have traveled as a civil servant with an entourage of people who went with him. So he begins to make this journey. Verse 10, but when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant heard this, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now think about it. God's gracious hand was upon him. The king had already given him everything he needed. He begins traveling, and all of a sudden, some people who are back in Jerusalem, who had settled there years ago, began to oppose him. The question is this. Who were these people? And why did they oppose him? You see, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem would have been regional governors in those areas back in Jerusalem. In fact, if you go back and look from geography, they would have surrounded the whole city of Jerusalem. All three of them would have been governors in that area. And all of a sudden, this guy named Nehemiah walks in and says, hey, I'm here to reclaim what belongs to God's people, their destiny. You see, The Horonites and the Ammonites were two people groups that when God's people entered the promised land, God expelled them from the land. And their problem was they had settled in Jerusalem in an area that wasn't even theirs. 
So can you imagine the fear in their hearts when they heard word that this guy named Nehemiah, on behalf of all of God's people, are com- he's coming back and they're going to rebuild the wall. Whoa, you're going to displace us. I started thinking about that in my own life. How many times have I felt like that something that wasn't of God had taken up root, had taken up place in my life, and I had just allowed it to exist? One of the things you learn when you go to Israel, and we learned this a couple weeks ago, there's been such a spirit of compromise within that area. There's been such a spirit of, we're just going to allow this to exist, that people think that they have an allotment that's theirs. You know, the enemy does that in your life and my life. We give him areas of our life, and then he takes up allowance and allotment, and then suddenly we go to take it back because, remember, God's called us to go back and walk in our destiny. And in this moment, Nehemiah walks in, and he says, hey, I'm here to settle in the land that belongs to God's people and rebuild the wall. Oh, opposition. Now, I know none of you ever face opposition, right? Right? You guys got it easy, right? Like when you get up in the morning, you hear birds singing outside of your window. Like they're singing your favorite song. Like when you get to work, everyone's lined up to greet you with a handshake. We're so glad you're here today. You go through traffic, everyone says, oh, we're just gonna get over to the side of the road and let you just get there quicker. (laughs) That ain't happening. Opposition. See, I think there's some things here that Nehemiah learned that can help us. First of all, we need to expect opposition if we rise up. We need to expect it. Let me ask you a question. Why would we not expect all the forces of hell to come against us if we start doing something that brings eternal glory to God? When you are a part of seeing God build something for eternity, like bringing heaven to earth like we've been talking about, Why would you not expect opposition in your life? You see, I've kind of learned this about opposition. You can learn from everyone because feedback is a gift. If people want to come and say, hey, I think we could do this better. It's like, hey, that's a gift. Like you can learn from everyone, but never let it hinder you from the work that God has called you to complete. So what happens is we have critics. And sometimes in life, what we think is the opposition is an individual, and it's really not. I mean, trust me, just look on social media. People think that this person and this person and this person is their enemy. But if you expect opposition, you better understand who your opponent really is. Look at Ephesians 6, 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. And so you may be looking at someone who's blocking you in traffic, or you may be looking at someone in your job and saying, they are the problem. But I want to remind you who your real opponent is. His name is Satan. Jesus made it really clear. He has a real good plan for your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you you got to know who your real opponent is. If you're going to expect opposition, you got to know who is the real opponent here. I've been in church work long enough that sometimes within a church, there gets to be this spirit of sand ballot that kind of rises up in people, a spirit of discouragement, 
A spirit that just, just says, I just want to quit. I just want to tap out. Listen, that's what that spirit wants from us. But we can't do that because God has called us to rise up. It's our destiny. So sometimes there's criticism that you have to face. I know you never experienced criticism in your life. Sometimes in my life, I listen to too much criticism. You know, criticism, if you go listen to uh, the definition, it means the expression or disapproval of someone or something based on a perceived faults or mistakes. Criticism, it's just part of it. Can you imagine if Nehemiah would have just said, you know, I'm going to let someone else go fix that wall. Think of all the criticism he would have avoided, but yet think of all the destiny he would have never experienced. And think of how God's people would have never been restored back to their land. You better expect opposition when you begin to rise up. So what really is opposition? I want to reframe it for you today. If you have a pen, write this down. What is opposition? Here it is. It's just an opportunity to rise up. You see, opposition really ought to make us dig deeper and say, who is it that I really am? What is it that God really has for me? And I'm going to get rid of all the other things in my life that really don't matter because I know God destined me to do this. Opposition is an opportunity to rise up. Listen, if you don't believe that, why do you go to the gym every week? I run tons of miles in my life. Like, why do I keep running? Because the force of running builds muscle. Why do you go to the gym? You tear down a muscle so that what? It builds it up. The opposition you face is an opportunity to rise up. That's why some of you look so swole. <laughs> and some of you say, I'm not swole, I'm swollen. <laughs> Opportunities are the result of opposition. In fact, let me say it this way. Opposition allows us to respond from the right position with power and authority. Remember what, remember what Nehemiah was? He was the cupbearer to the king. He had position. God had placed him. God has placed you divinely where you are in this day, in this time, in this place. And your position gives you power and authority to operate in. I love that because as a child of God, I want to tell you, I have position that allows me to operate in power and authority. And it's not from me, it's from God. It's kind of like this, okay? Y'all know what this is. I know y'all been looking at it all morning. Yeah, how many of you guys remember these? Yeah, I spent a lot of August with my face in these back in Oklahoma. So in high school, I was a linebacker. My coach said, you have one job. You need to get there quickly to the ball, and when you get there, arrive in a really bad mood. That was my job. Opposition. How we face, it's kind of like football. Opposition is kind of like football. You see, if I play the right position in football, I should own the opposition. In fact, what did that coach tell you? He would always say this, stay in your what? Your stance. Stay in your stance. Why? Because that's your position. Don't you keep backing away. I mean, what if every time someone came at you, you just did this? That wouldn't look good. You'd say you're missing the whole point. But let me ask you this. 
How many times do we see the opposition that we face, and instead of seeing it as an opportunity, we only see it as an obstacle? See, here's what I learned about this bag. When I was growing up, my coach would say, now listen, you stay in your stance. You are the linebacker. Nobody gets past you. And when the ball is snapped, you don't run away from the ball. You run towards the ball. You run towards the ball carry. And when you face opposition, you've got to respond in the right way. In fact, you've got to respond opposite of how the opposition wants you to respond. Because here's the job of this guy. This is the offensive lineman. He's got one job. You know what it is? To block you. So here's what we do with opposition sometimes. We come up against it and we run away from it. Or we come up against it and all we do is sit and fight it all day long. Listen, my coach was never impressed when I got in a fight with one of these bags. You know what I'm saying? Like I could sit there for an hour and punch the guy that's holding the bag. He's like, Sean, you've missed the whole point, bro. Put a swim move on that dude and get to the ball. That's what we got to do with opposition. You got to stay in the right stance. God's giving you position, but then you got to put the swim move on the enemy. You know how Nehemiah put the swim move on the enemy? <laughs> he jabbed that bag and pushed him forward and went to the ball. You know why he pushed through the opposition and didn't run away from it? Because he knew that was his destiny. See, we want to run away from opposition. God says, I want you to go through opposition because I'll take everything that opposes you and if you will use the opposite spirit instead of fear, you walk in faith. Instead of this idea that they're against me, listen, there's no, there's no weapon in hell that can be formed against me of doing what God's told me to do. I can go through the opposition. I can swim move Satan. He has no power over me. Why? Because I'm playing from the right position. I'm in the right stance. I'm humbling myself before God and he does not stand a chance. Remember, it's not the person at your work that you're in opposition with. It's the spirit that's at operation in this world. You better expect opposition. But let's be honest. Wouldn't we also say that the greatest opposition we face is really within? I mean, let's be, let's, let's be real, okay? There are people that are going to oppose you. But have you ever noticed that sometimes you oppose yourself? We crawl into this hole of, oh, they don't like me. Oh, I'm afraid of them. Oh, they might post something awful about me and talk about me even though they're not talking about me, which is really weird on social media. I don't, I don't dig people who talk vicariously to other people. If you got something to say to someone, pick up the phone and call them. Be a reconciler. Don't be a wrecker. But the greatest opposition we often face is within. Henry Ford said it this way, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. We got to overcome fear. We got to overcome the fear of man. Listen, when people are big and God is small in your life, you will always struggle with opposition. But when God is big and people have their right place, you've overcome one of the greatest struggles of opposition in your life. 
Don't ever make people bigger than God. The fear of man makes us afraid. Let me tell you what fear does. Write this down. Fear gives the enemy allowance and allotment in our life. That's what it does. Fear gives the enemy allowance and then allotment into our life. The allowance says, hey, open up the gate and take whatever you want from me because I'm just afraid. God doesn't want us to live that way. You know, compromise does the same thing. When we compromise what God has told us is ours in Christ Jesus and we don't operate in the spirit that he wants us to operate in, we give the enemy allowance and allotment in our life. Listen, some of you as parents, you've gone through this season before, but you realize I've given my child too much allowance and now they have too much allotment. They somehow think that they run the place (laughs) and you're paying the bills, right? As parents, that's one of the things we learn. Fear, we can't ever do that. Compromise, we can't ever do that. Let, Let me make this statement. Never make a treaty with doubt and fear. You know what that means? Don't come to doubt and fear in your life and doubt who God is or be afraid of what God may do and you begin to make a treaty like, I'm just gonna believe God to this point and then I'm just gonna live in this, this treaty of fear. Like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna fear this much, but I might fear that. Don't ever make a treaty with doubt and fear in your life because all it will do is eventually create more allowance and more allotment. So Nehemiah, when he faced the opposition, you know what he did? He rose up. He took the opposition, and it became his opportunity to rise up. Look at verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. He came in with this garrison of people. The people began to oppose him, and he says, And then then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me but the one which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And look at verse 15. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate, so I returned. Verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. You know what he did? He expected the opposition, but then he did something really important. He investigated the obstacle. He didn't tell anyone He didn't say, hey, we're going to go have an inspection party. He went in the middle of the night. He didn't even tell them what he was thinking about. He just kept it between him and God. And he went in the middle of the night, and here's what he was basically saying. God, I want you to show me what you see because I want to have your heart for this obstacle. See, it would have been easy for him to look in the paper and read what everyone else was saying about the obstacle. It would have been more sound for him to call four of his friends and say, hey, I heard the wall's broken down. What do y'all think? But he didn't. He went and he investigated the obstacle. Let me ask you a question. In your life, in the things that you feel like oppose you or the obstacles you face, what is the real obstacle versus what is the perceived obstacle? 
I've heard people say this all the time, perception's reality. No, it's not. I perceive that I should eat Tex-Mex every day. That is not reality for me, okay? That doesn't end good after about four days. Perception's not reality. What God says is reality. Can I get an amen? So he walks in and he sees this and he begins to investigate the real obstacle. He begins to look at what is the current reality in order to define and decide what his future reality can look like. I mean, you don't deny the facts. You got to look at it. You got to be honest. But at the end of the day, you got to ask the question, what is the real obstacle? What is it? I mean, imagine if he'd have left there and called his friends and said, hey guys, it's not that bad. They can just put a few bricks in and we'll just, you know, make it work for the next 80 years. He didn't. He went and saw the current reality. He saw reality. And then he made his decision. He investigated the obstacle. You see, when you know what your current reality is in your life, then you have the opportunity to decide and define what your future looks like. But when we finish looking at all the obstacle, we have a decision to make. We have a decision to make. So I want you to see this. What, what is it that we can do in the midst of our obstacles and our opposition that will help us rise up? I know you're going to say, this is so simple, I can't even believe it. Here, here it is. It's one word. You ready? Respond. Respond. Remember what I said last week? If we're going to rise up, we've got to learn to reject indifference. The idea that I can't stay neutral. God has called me to do something. It's my destiny, and I'm willing to step into it no matter how hard or how difficult it is. In this moment, they did something to me that is quite amazing. They responded. They responded. You see, every opposition or obstacle gives us the opportunity to respond, but how we respond will determine how we rebuild. And let me say this. The decision not to respond is your response. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God and that He had been upon me for good and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, this is the people, and they said, everyone say, and they said. Okay, you're the people, so let's pretend like you're these people. And they said, say it. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. See, here's the part of the story I love. Nehemiah led the way. And all my life, I've heard about how visionary Nehemiah was. And I want to give Nehemiah all the credit due to Nehemiah, but I want to put some credit back on God's people. Because when God's man came on the scene and he laid out where we were going and how we were going to get there, you know what God's people did? They responded. And they said, let us rise up and build. You know what that tells me? How we respond has the ability to empower others. In every situation, there was a guy who did a 
He was a Navy SEAL. He did this, uh, this leader cast that I went to this one time, and they were talking about all the conflict that they had gone through in Afghanistan. And they had all these young recruits that were coming in as Navy SEALs, and they were hot shots. And so they were coming and going, man, we can take this point. We can take this. And he kept saying to them, they just don't get it. So when he was interviewed, when he got home, I think from his fourth tour of duty, they asked him the question, what is the number one thing you learned that's not only saved American lives, but took out the enemy? Here's what he said. Calmness is contagious. When you get on the battlefield, you have to make hard decisions, but you have to do so in a manner that's calm because calmness is contagious. Why? Because how we respond has the power to empower others. They responded. How did the people respond? I love these words. Let us rise up and build. Look at the response, verse 19. But when Sambel at the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You see, sometimes even when you respond rightly, you're gonna have to face some ridicule. In fact, I wanna tell you this, ridicule is the cheapest weapon that the enemy uses against us ridicule. I'm going to discount you operating in your power and authority that God says is yours. I'm going to ridicule you. I think of Jesus and all the ridicule Jesus faced. Jesus said, if you tear this temple down, I will rebuild it in three days. What did they do? They ridiculed him. If we're going to rise up Sometimes people are still going to ridicule us. It doesn't matter. But I love what Nehemiah said. He says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. You know what that tells me? The greatest way we overcome obstacles and opposition, listen, is to get to work. Get to work. The people said, let us arise and build. He went in and he said, hey guys, we're gonna rise up and build like this is going to start. I've surveyed the work. I, I know what the current reality is. I understand there's opposition. You don't wanna be displaced, but this is God's people and this is God's place. We are gonna rebuild this deal. They jeered him and he told them, God's gonna give us success. The greatest way we overcome obstacles and opposition is to get to work. Listen, you want to wear the devil out in your life? Just get to work. Start believing. Start serving. Start loving people. Start giving like you know God owns everything. Start trusting. Start giving yourself away. Start rebuilding roofs on the tops of people's broken homes. You start working and you know what you'll do? You'll wear the devil out. Because here's what our culture said. When you get afraid and someone opposes you, you should back away. You should stop. Nehemiah said, no, God's going to make us prosper. We're going to rise up. We're going to build. Because the greatest way we overcome obstacles and opposition is to get to work. You know what happened? Look at chapter 3 and we're done. They started working. The priest went first. 
And section by section of chapter 3, it says this person repaired this gate. This person repaired this part of the wall. They literally lined up around the wall, and they did something that will scare the bejeebers out of the enemy. They got to work. Because you know what happens when you get to work? You quit worrying the problem. Satan's greatest strategy is he wants you to sit on the sideline and be afraid of what you think is opposing you. Listen, if God has called you to it, he's given you the grace and the power to see it happen in your life. There is no force in hell that can stand against us. None. 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 But they did something that was very powerful. They started building. We're going to close. This is a Lego. We talk about this at our Discover South Coast class. You know, I, I love Legos. Anybody here love Legos? Yeah, Legos are fun, okay? Um, I'm an OCD personality, so all the Legos have to match. <laughs> I know that's weird. Like some of you, you would never touch a dirty Lego. Like if someone else had touched this, you'd be like, okay, I'm not that person. I could like stick it in my mouth. I don't care. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, okay? This, this Lego is powerful, but it's not very powerful if it's just my Lego and I stick it right here and I just show you guys, hey, look at my Lego. Hey, look what I've built. Look what I've possessed. Look what I've done. This Lego represents something bigger. See, here's what we want. We want the picture on the box, right? This is the picture. This is, this is our destiny. This is what God has prepared us for by his grace in good works in Christ Jesus to rise up and do. But here's us. We are one Lego. And here's the challenge. With one Lego, I can't build anything. God's people, it says in this story, they responded. And when they responded, they gathered around the wall and they got to work. Have you thought lately about this? What is it God wants to do in the life of our church that's gonna require every one of us to pull out our Lego piece and connect together and go to work? Some of you say, well, my Lego piece isn't that big. It doesn't matter. Without your Lego, we can't build. The Bible says that God's given every single one of us gifts. Every single one of us in the church have a spiritual gift. And unless we pull out our Lego and say, you know what? I am going to get to work because when we get to work, this is what can happen. We can see God bring heaven to this earth. We can see poverty diminished in our region. We can see people who are far from God meet God in a personal relationship. We can see the broken healed. We can see the addicted set free. Why? Because if I choose to get out my Lego and I get it to work with your Lego and we put it together and we get it to work, there is no power in hell that can stop us. We got to get to work. We can build something great if we're willing to take the one piece of the wall and build it together. You know what that is for us at Southcrest? It's real simple, to reach South Atlanta one relationship at a time. Thousands of people in our community who need to know about God's love. 
You say, oh, they all go to church. Listen, in Troop County, less than 7% of all people go to church. In Coweta County, less than 9% of all people go to anybody's church on a Sunday morning. Well, they're all Christians. Really? I don't know about that, guys. Because if that's true, we'd see more heaven coming to this earth. I read stories about revivals, the old Welsh revival. They had so many people who met Christ and their life was changed. They had to let go of half of the police force. Crime went down so dramatically. They had to say, listen, we don't need you anymore. And for a period of time, they had half the police force. Why? Because the community was being changed. We got to respond. Let's rise up and build. Hey, Southcrest. Let's rise up and build. Let's quit blaming the world for why we can't. Let's quit letting the enemy oppose us and get us into fights with a stupid punching bag. Let's rise up and build. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you have made a decision for Christ or have any prayer request, please email us at hello at southcrest.tv. If you would like to join us in our Do You See What I See giving campaign, please check out our website at southcrest.church forward slash do you see.